So much love. Thank you for that. Uh, I'll take that. The um, So I first want to say thank you to you many people who have made dinner for me and Katie over the past few weeks. Thank you so much. I have had so much fun. This has definitely been the biggest highlight of my semester is being able to hang out with y'all, hear your stories, talk to you. Uh, yeah, and the food's been awesome, too, so thank you for that. Um, and thank you to Christopher, uh, wherever you're sitting. I don't know, where, where is Christopher? Oh, yeah, he's in Africa, so I can't thank him tonight. But he is uh, he's in Africa having fun. He was in Kenya. I think he's in Mali now. I don't know where he is. He's somewhere in Africa, the uh, small continent that it is. All right, y'all doing all right? Y'all, are y'all surviving with the – we figured that, hey, you know, it's really cold outside, so let's make it a sauna. And that is – that's what we're trying to recreate. We're going to have a game at the end of tonight where we're going to see who has the most sweat, and uh, you'll get a prize for that. And so um, some of you are wondering how we're going to figure that out. We'll explain later. Ooh, nice. I'm glad I'm not close to you. I'm glad I'm over here. Damani can, uh, he can deal with that. Well, where's Grace Bowles? Oh, there she is in her denim shirt. Denim is back. Well, before Grace is going to read for me tonight, but before Grace reads for me, I'm going to make her feel really uncomfortable by giving her some praise um, in front of everyone. So aren't you glad that I called you up here first and then started this? I could have said this before you got up, but then it, you would feel too comfortable. And so, uh, yeah, you know, Grace is awesome. Um, one thing that I love about Grace is that she's been, I think she's been a small group leader for two years now. And Grace is probably one of the most courageous people that I have ever seen in my life. She is so courageous. And she doesn't think that she is, but she is. You know, um, we can't really control whether or not we have fear in our lives. We just kind of have it, and so we have to deal with it. But a lot of times we, we let fear kind of take the driver's seat of our lives in the sense where basically fear is going to be in the car of your life. But are you going to let it drive or are you going to put it in the passenger seat and, like, choose to deal with that fear but not necessarily, like, you're going to pick courage and you're going to let courage drive the car. And that's kind of what I see Grace do all the time she's always choosing courage over fear and though fear may be in the car she doesn't let it own her and so in many ways she inspires me but in that way she inspires me greatly and I'm always I always think about that every time I see you so there you go you can feel really uncomfortable anybody who brought their bible she's going to be reading out of the book of Zechariah we've, we've been in the minor prophet series and we're going to read all of chapter 3. And so, Zechariah 3. Here you go. Oh, super comfortable now. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at the right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. This, is this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I have put fine garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. Then he put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel, angel of the Lord stood by. 
The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty said. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates before you, who are men symbolically of things to come, I'm going to bring my servant the branch. See the stone, the stone that I have set, set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty. And I will remove the sin of the land in a single day. And that day each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Thank you, Grace. Well, uh, I'll pray and we'll jump right in. Lord God, um, we're talking about uh, some pretty uh, deep and, uh, you know, significant things tonight, Lord God, and just pray that I would, um, I would just do you justice in, in regards to pointing to how awesome you are and how um, present you are and, and really dealing with us in our lives in, in such a wonderful way. Help me, help me to serve you well and to serve everyone here well. And um, what I am trying to point to in regards to who you are and what you've done for us. We love you, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we got, uh, we've been reading, um, we've been in the Minor Prophets. And usually when I've talked about the Minor Prophets, I've kind of like done like a sweeping overview of most of the book. But tonight, we're just going to stay in one chapter because the book of Zechariah is a collection of visions. It is not primarily like just like this one story. It's many stories, many visions that Zechariah has. And so when it comes to Zechariah the prophet, what he's doing is he is talking to a group of people. If you've remembered, we've had north and south Israel and, and God is like trying to like speak to them and talk to them. And he's trying to get their attention. And he keeps telling them that, hey, peril is coming. There's going to be a nation called Babylon that's going to be raised up. And they're going to they're going to take over your land and you're going to be exiles for a time if you don't if you don't obey and they don't obey. And so they end up becoming exiles for 70 years. Then they're brought back. And when they're brought back, God gives them a few things like, hey, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, do a couple other things. And so what happens is God raises up two prophets in order to speak to them. One is Zechariah and the other one is Haggai, Haggai and Haggai will talk about next Chi Alpha, but tonight, Zechariah. So if you've noticed in this very interesting story is we have Satan, we have the angel of the Lord, and then we have Joshua, the high priest. Very weird scene, kind of mysterious. When it comes to Satan, most of the time what we have are thoughts of, one, this dude who's really red and kind of has horns, and has like a tail with a, a triangular tra tail or something like that. And then he has a trident that he carries. He, you know what I'm talking about. That's usually what you, that's, that's what people think of. You know, it's almost, it, it not is almost, it's comical. I don't know where that originates. No one really knows where that originates, but that is what people think of. But there's nothing in the Bible that tells us that that's anything about, like that's anything like who he is. 
Also, another thought that people usually have when they think of Satan is they think of him as a tempter. Oh, I'm being tempted, so therefore Satan has something to do with it. You know, you hear the extra spiritual people say, oh, you know, the, devil, the devil's everywhere. you got to watch out for him. I, you know what? I saw something that I wasn't supposed to see. The devil's coming after him. You know, like that, that's what you hear. You, you hear stuff like that. But that's not necessarily the main way that the Bible describes Satan and how he deals with us in the world. The main way that, he, that the Bible describes him in dealing with us has to do with him being an accuser. As we see him in this story, this is how we see him mainly. In fact, the very word Satan, his name means accuser. That's what Satan means. It means the accuser. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about accusations. And um, you know what? Is we I just feel funny. I'm going to say one more prayer. Lord God. Ah, please help us not to deal with Satan lightly in regards to how he's talked about and how he's viewed. And please just help me to be clear. Please help us to have fun tonight. And please help us most of all to approach you rightly and with hope. Pray this again in Jesus' name. Amen. And so you got Joshua. I'm back in. We got Joshua. And Joshua is the high priest. And what the high priest is, is he is a representative of the people. You got one high priest of the temple, and there's not, there's not multiple high priests at a time. There's one high priest. And so he is the high priest, and his job is to represent the people. He, re, he literally goes into the, into the temple, the presence of God, and he represents God or the people to God. So the state of the people is kind of the state of the high priest. And so when they're having filthy, filthy robes on or with, with him having that on, that's the condition of the people. And so they're not in a good place. And then Satan is there accusing him over all that he isn't. And Joshua is there feeling pretty unworthy. And this all has to do with the subject that Sean talked about earlier this semester, this topic of righteousness, this word righteousness. And righteousness, I don't know what you remember about what that word means, but it is a relational word. It's a word that has to do with relationship. So if you are righteous, that means you're acceptable in someone's sight. And so the issue here is that Joshua is not acceptable in the Lord's sight. And he's standing before the Lord. And then Satan is standing there accusing him, reminding him and the Lord how unacceptable Joshua is. Pretty interesting scene. Does anybody ever feel un unacceptable? Okay. I feel unacceptable quite a bit. I, uh, I was talking with Katie earlier, and she was talking about one of the dreams that she has when she feels what a dream that kind of reminds her of how unacceptable she can feel sometimes. And it's this dream that some of you have had this. I've heard other people talk about this. George Costanza had it in Seinfeld. I've never had this. But it's a dream where you kind of like are at a party or you're walking through campus, and you don't necessarily have all your clothes on. Or... You don't have any clothes on at all. Has anybody ever had that dream where you're naked somewhere and everybody's looking at you kind of like, whoa. And some people in the back are kind of chuckling and you're just like, what's going on? Oh, I don't have any pants on. Or like, oh, I don't have a shirt on. Oh, I don't have anything on at all. And then sure enough in the dream, from what I know, I don't have this dream often, but the people who do have this dream, they're usually like in the back of a room or something or they're in the middle of campus. And so they're somewhere where they can't easily get away. And so they just, in the dream, they got to like run through and just like, ah, you know, and then they don't have any clothes on and they're just super, super embarrassed. You're like, what is going on? What is he talking about with this random dream? 
that's kind of it's kind of how it like psychologists have talked about this dream and they say that this dream is is connected to this idea where we feel like we aren't acceptable enough it's a deep psychological condition that we have where we don't feel acceptable for me i don't have that dream for me it's like equally as ridiculous probably more ridiculous but it's i'm usually awake when i'm thinking about this it's not like in a dream i'm awake but i'll like daydream and so i'm like i just like think of start thinking about something and i'll be there i'll be i'll be like deep in that thought for like a minute or so and then i'll just like wake up like oh what's going on but i will i'll be thinking and i'm just like ah you know what like what if what if one day everyone finds out that you're a preacher jordan and that you actually don't have a doctorate in divinity you're not you don't have a phd in preaching what what will happen if everyone finds out how unqualified you are or i'll have this thought where i'm like oh yeah i'm this christian i'm a preacher and then people think like yeah but what about all that stuff that jordan used to do or what about those thoughts that jordan still has and I just feel like, you call me crazy. I'll, I'll, like, have these thoughts, and I'll be like, oh, dang, that'd be crazy if that ever happens, if I ever get, like, found out. And then I'll just think, like, oh, yeah, here comes, here comes campus police. They're coming to arrest me, and they're taking me not, not actually to jail where you would go if you're getting arrested. They take me before all of campus, right in front of the lair, and, they, and I'm in handcuffs, and they're like, hey, this is Jordan Goody, and he's a preacher, and he doesn't have – a doctorate in divinity to preach. And can you believe that he did this and this and this? They read the whole list of all the things that I've done wrong. And then they say, and he thinks about this, and he still has to struggle with these thoughts. And can you believe that he ran over a turtle once? And can you believe that he's actually kicked a kitten before? Yes. Yes, I did. I did. Don't, don't stone me here. Wait, wait till it's over. The blood would be inappropriate. But but yes, I have kitten. I've kicked a kitten before. I'm a disgusting man, and that's what's gonna happen. People are gonna find this out, and they're gonna take me before all the campus. And then Gordon Gee is gonna be like, "Yeah, you're 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 disgusting. You know, you can't preach on campus anymore." And Donald Trump sends me a letter that says, "You can't preach anymore." I don't know if he has that power, but maybe maybe he does. You know. And then I just get this picture of somebody stripping a badge off of me, even though I don't have any badges, nor do I have done anything to get a badge. And I just but just, I just get these weird thoughts, and maybe God's gonna like send a letter and say, "Yeah, you know," and you can't hold a kitten you're a sicko you're a sicko it's people like you that are hurting this world but as ridiculous as all of this sounds that is that's that's how it is for us we are in this kind of courtroom you could say in fact not kind of we are in a courtroom that's what this text is telling us and that's what the bible repeats many times you were in this courtroom and you are being accused by someone who tells you that you are not measuring up. You have filthy rags on you because you're not good enough. And we struggle with these thoughts. And some of you are looking at me kind of like, I don't know. We all know. I don't, I, don't even, I don't need to work hard to get this thought through. When you really stop and think about it, how many times do you find yourself thinking, ah, yeah, I'm in class, and I know that everybody else only has a diploma just like me, but I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a biology major, and yeah, I might have good grades, but I just feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I don't deserve to be here. I'm not worthy of being here. There's something wrong with me. I'm going to be found out one day. I'm going to be found out. Yeah, my professors like me, but even though my professors like me, it didn't mean anything. I'm going to be found out. 
It doesn't matter how many people tell you you're great at something. You keep remembering that one person who told you that you weren't great at something. Or you can't remember. It, it doesn't matter how many times people, like, praise you. It's like that one person who comes up and says something that you didn't do well, the only thing you can remember is your flaws. And you have these thoughts, these accusations that come up in your mind that you are not worthy. And that's what, that's what he does. That's what Satan does. He speaks to us. And some of you are all like, man, Jordan, come on. You got you a you high school diploma at least. I think you may have gone to college. Surely you can't be silly enough to believe that there is a devil out there and that he really does do this. And yes, I totally believe that. And I, I'm not ashamed of believing that because that's what Jesus believed. Jesus believed in the validity of the enemy, and he took him seriously. Paul talks about it. He calls him the prince of the power of the air. He, he is not a joke in the Bible, but in some ways we have made him a joke. But the funny thing is, as much as we want to say that he's a joke, we still have to deal with the repercussions of the fact that constantly in our minds is this thought that you are going to be found out as an imposter because all of the wrong things that you've done are being brought up before you all around you and you're always trying to beat out this thought that I'm not as good as I hope I could be or I'm not living up to what I know I should live up to am I crazy with this or like is anybody tracking with me here are y'all completely lost on this This uh, I got a, <laughs> I got this silly picture. I thought it was funny. I don't know if y'all think it's funny. <laughs> it says you fear being publicly exposed as a fraud is a stress-related disorder called imposter syndrome. It's common among people in high-profile authority positions, and of course, in actual phonies like you. And it's just like, yeah, that sounds about right. We are in this courtroom. And I'm not saying this because I think this. I'm saying this because this is what the text tells us. And it actually repeats it multiple times. You read Job 1, 1 and 2. Read Job 1 and 2. And you'll see the courtroom is there again. And you'll see it here in Revelations 10, uh, 12, 10 as well. It says, then I heard, this is John speaking. Then I heard the voice of the Lord in heaven say, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of the, oh, I'm sorry. I skipped the whole thing. Then I heard the. The loud, a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. There is a deep insecurity inside all of us and we are in this courtroom. Psalm 89, and I don't have this scripture, scripture up here, so I'll just say it. Psalm 89 says, justice and righteousness are the foundations of the throne of God. And Ezekiel 28 talks about Satan, and it talks about how he was an angel, and he was a cherub. And it's like, um, it's a special kind of angel if you go and study the Bible, but I hope I don't lose you on this. What it's saying about him is that his job was to guard the throne of God. He was actually, his, his original name means Lucifer, and it means the son of the morning. He's a son of the morning star. That's actually the name that's given to Jesus in the New Testament because of Satan basically not living up to it. But what we know about Satan is that he was to guard the throne of God. He was to guard the righteousness and the justice of the throne. And so he looks at us. And he is like, hey, hold on. 
God, you love these people and they don't measure up. And I'm here. I'm bringing Joshua before you, but he represents all of mankind. They're not good enough. And that's a situation that we have. So how do we how do we deal with this guilt? How do we deal with this condemnation? Because we all have these thoughts of condemnation, and he's always accused us. I have some examples of different places that he accuses us, because he accuses us in seasons, if you'll notice. And you may think, all right, I'm kind of tracking with you, but when you see this, you'll, it, it, it'll make a little bit of sense. So the first one we should have is like the season when thing, yeah, trouble comes, yeah. When trouble comes, condemnation is real heavy then. You know, like stuff isn't going well, you got into an argument with this person or that person, you... What is it? You, you, you wake up late. You, you get to class late because the PRT broke down. You get in the class and, then you, and everything is usually those days when everything that could go bad does go bad. You take this quiz and then what happens in the quiz? The quiz is over stuff that you didn't even study because it's something that the professor threw in there at the last minute. And then you walk out of class and you're like, man, what is going on today? And then this thought comes in your mind. Look at you. Look at you. You're failing. You're falling apart. You're not good enough. And you know that you're not good enough. Look, you're not going to do what. Things should always go bad for you, and you know you deserve it. You know you're not good enough. Or another time is times when you're lonely. Everybody else around you is dating someone. You're not dating anyone. It's Friday night. Everybody else has plans. You're sitting at your place alone. And then you have this thought, you should be alone. You don't look good enough. You're not worth it. You don't matter. Or what else? What's, what's another time? When you're trying to talk about Jesus, man, this one is like, I don't, I, 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 don't even, I, don't, I don't even know if I have to say anything else. It makes so much sense. You try to bring up Jesus to your family or to your friends, or you just try to have a conversation, and this thought comes into your mind. How could you talk about Jesus when you have this and this and this in your life? How dare you bring up his name? You are, so, you are such a hypocrite. It goes back to that ridiculous thought that I have frequently, that I'm going to be found out because I'm not perfect. Like Katie's just going to leave me because one day she's like, you know what, Jordan, I realize that you aren't, I'm not quali- you, aren't, you aren't qualified to be married to me because you're not as perfect as you were supposed to be. Like I just have thoughts like that. But that's how we treat people. We think like, oh, yeah, when they find out that I'm not perfect, then they won't want anything to do with me. And I got a few others. I'm not going to say all of them. What are some of the other ones? Uh, when you're praying, thoughts come up in your mind, and you're like, oh, yeah, God, hey, could you do this? Could you do this? Could you do this? And then that one prayer isn't answered when you hoped it was, and then you have this thought. Why would God answer your prayer? You know you don't read the Bible as much as you ought to read it. You know you don't do all that you ought to do. When you're feeling cold, not, well, not man, it would be nice to feel cold right now. <laughs> When you're cold inside, when everybody's worshiping and people are fired up around you and you just, maybe you, had a t- maybe you had a long week. Maybe you're tired, but you're not as excited about Jesus as you wish that you were. And you have this thought come up like, oh, yeah, you don't really love God like you say you do. We all hear these thoughts. I know we all hear them. Now I don't think I'm going to say the rest of them. Ah, oh, yeah, when you have nagging sin, when you have a sin that you just can't overcome in your life, we have this thought that I am just not good enough these accusations our conscience is a radio transmission picking up these lies bless you from the enemy 
And I'm not saying this because I came to this thought on my own. I, I'm saying this because this is what the Bible says. But it makes so much sense because so many times I'm like, man, what is going on? Why is it that I wanna, when I want to think good thoughts about myself, I still can't get away from the lies? Why do these lies haunt me? Why do they chase me down? I, I have a story. So anybody ever, did anybody ever have to read the book, The Life of Samuel Johnson by Boswell? Anyone? One? Any other hands out there? Just one. All right. Consider yourself blessed. If you had to read this book, they, you used to have to read it with like Romeo and Juliet and the Scarlet Letter. God, that's an awful book. But that's just me. Hey, sorry if that offends anyone. Last time I said that, some people got really mad at me, but the book isn't good. Anyways, but the life of Samuel Johnson by Boswell, it's a book that they used to make you read, but they, I guess they realize that it's not interesting. Actually, it's considered the greatest biography of all time. And Samuel Johnson, basically this dude, two, three hundred years ago, he, when he's a kid, his dad tells him, hey, could you go out to where our vegetable stand is and could you go and open it up and then collect the money and sell vegetables? And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Then he goes off and plays with his friends instead, and then he doesn't go to the vegetable stand, and he's miserable over it. He has so much guilt, and this guilt haunts him forever. He just, he just can't escape it. And one day, it's many years later, his dad has since died. The vegetable stand is no more. It's actually in an abandoned area. And he goes and he walks out there in the rain. And while it's raining, he stands bareheaded in the rain trying to make sense of this secret guilt that he has. That's what he calls it. And he can't. He can't do anything to deal with it. Well, that's kind of depressing. But the cool thing about this story is that the highlight of it is not Satan. The highlight is what happens with Joshua. So we go ahead and we keep reading, and what do we see? We see the Lord gives a new robe to Joshua. He gives a new robe to, the, to him, and he changes his clothes. That may not seem significant to you, but that is like, that is like beside itself, like it's huge. I didn't say this earlier, but what's going on is Satan is like a prosecution attorney in our lives where he is coming in and he is trying to convince the judge as to why we are undeserving in this life, why we don't measure up, why we are guilty. And then the Lord here, it says the angel of the Lord. And if we go back to it, you don't have to bring it up, Sean. But if you go back and look at it in, in Zechariah 3, it actually says the angel of the Lord then it says the Lord in the next verse, and then it says the angel of the Lord again. And you're like, what is, that's so confusing. Why does it say the angel of the Lord and the Lord? Because what this is is a pre-incarnation revelation of Jesus. Some of you are like, man, you're reading way too much in the Bible. You're kind of losing me with that. I'm, I didn't make this up. If Theologians, the, a ton of them will tell you, when you read about the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord speaks for God, but he also acts as if he is God. And he comes up multiple times. He comes up in Joshua. He comes up in many books in the Old Testament. This is a representation of Jesus. It is also talking about him when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walk through the fire, and, it's, and then Nebuchadnezzar the king looks down and says, whoa, it looks like the Son of God is in the fire with them. That is pointing to Jesus. If you think I'm crazy, just look it up. And, and you'll, you'll think, oh, okay, Jordan wasn't making that up. This is Jesus. And he is there. It is Satan 
Jesus and Joshua, and Jesus gives him new clothes. And he is the advocate for Joshua. And he basically is telling Satan, yo, dude, sit down, shut up. I'm going to tell you how it is. This is what's going on. Yeah, you're right. Joshua doesn't have it all together. Mankind doesn't have it all together, but that's okay. I'm going to give him a new robe. I'm going to give him the best robe. What he does is he does what a great prosecution attorney would do. When we think about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, we think, oh, yeah, he made it so that God forgave my sins. In the sense where, like, if you're in, in a court and then the and then and then the governor just goes and sends a letter in and says, hey, hold on. I know Jordan Goody murdered someone, but look, I pardon him. I forgive him. So therefore, he can go. He can walk free. You still kind of feel I wouldn't feel good. I'd still feel like I was guilty in a sense. Yeah, I just feel like a, a murderer walking around. That's not what Jesus does for us. What he does is that he gives us a new robe. A good defense attorney won't come in and say, hey, you know what? I know Jordan Goody is a bum. I know he killed those people. I know, he, I know he's all this and he's all that. But look, God, would you just have mercy on him? Would you just forgive him? That's not how it is. That's not what a good defense attorney does. What a good defense attorney does is he comes up and he says, hey, look, the law demands justice. And so, judge, you need to have justice. So I give you myself. I step in. My death was his death. See him now as me. What Jesus does for Joshua and what he does for all of us is he does what a great defense attorney would do. He doesn't say, ah, oh, God, would you just have mercy on Jordan and just forgive him this one time? No, he says, God, your law demands justice, and so I'll give you that. And so it says that the word became flesh. The word of God became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and he lived for 33 years. And he lived the life that you all should have lived that you know that you should have lived, the life that you feel these accusations all the time because you know that you don't measure up, because you don't love people as well as you ought to. You're not as patient as well as you ought, as, as well as you ought to be. And you're not as kind as, as, as <laughs> we all know it. And he comes in and he lives the life that we should have lived, but then he goes and, and dies a death that he should not have died. He, dies, he, he died as a guilty person. And then he tells the judge, now, replace him with me. I have taken his punishment. And for you to go and accept these accusations about him, God, that wouldn't be fair because then two people would die. Look, the guilt and the condemnation that we feel, it's legitimate. There is legitimate guilt if you're not a Christian. And then there's also the results of sin, which mess up your life. But once you become a Christian, there is no longer the guilt of sin. The guilt of sin is removed. The things that you've done in your life, you no longer need to wear those as if you were guilty. You don't need to walk around as, in a, as somebody who's abused this or somebody who's done this or that. You walk around as a free person because what Jesus did for you was he didn't just say, God, forgive him. He said, God, see him in my robes. 
see him as me. That's what it means for him to be our high priest. That's what it means when it says in in Romans 8, 1, it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation in those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation for you. Some of you may be like, ah, I don't know. I'm not really tracking where you're, what you're saying, Jordan. I'm, I'm kind of losing you. Let's talk about what it looks like to be on the other side of this. What does it look like to be someone who has no condemnation in their life? That means when Satan comes and accuses you and he tells you all the things that you aren't and all the ways that you don't measure up, you can say back to him, hey, you know what? Actually, you're right. I'm way worse than you even think that I am. I'm awful. I'm a terrible person. I don't have it all together. I'm not good enough. I didn't get here because I earned it or because I put my life together. I actually got here because someone else got me here. It's almost like, it's like, it's almost like getting into VIP at a club. You get into VIP, and but you're there with a whole bunch of like movie stars and people with a whole bunch of money, and you're there, and you know you don't have no money, and you know you don't know anybody, and you know you're not that big of a deal, but you're around all these people who people consider to be a big deal, but yet the owner of the club puts the VIP badge over you and says, you need to be here. And then somebody walks up to you and says, whoa, 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 bro. You don't have no money, no credibility. What are you doing here? And you're like, I know I don't deserve to be here, but I didn't put myself here. He did. You can talk to him. And that's how we are to talk to Satan. Look, you telling me all the stuff that I'm not, you're right. I'm not that. I don't have it all together. I'm not good enough. I'm not as kind as I ought to be. I'm not as loving as I ought to be. I'm trying to grow, but I don't have it all together. I still don't have it all together. You know this and I know this, but I'm not here because of me. I'm here because of him and what he did. That's what this, that's what this story is telling us. That's the situation for Joshua. He didn't put those robes on himself. The Lord put those robes on him. Another way that this works out is this means you don't have to take yourself so seriously. You can relax. It's okay. You don't have to be in this rat race to try to prove yourself to everyone like everyone else is doing. Come on, let's, let's just be a little real here. Real, if I can even get my words out. Let's be a little real here. Everybody on this campus is trying to prove themselves to be more than they think that they are or at least to get other people to see them as that. Everybody is, is trying desperately to prove themselves. You try to get this diploma and that diploma, and then once you get this diploma, and once you get this grade, then you actually matter. Or once these people say that about you, then you actually matter. It's just what we talked about last week. If you see these lining up, they're totally connected, totally. We try to get other people to think more highly of us so that we can prove ourselves to other people. But when you have this, when you can just say, look, there is no condemnation for me because I am in Christ. I'm not here because I earned anything. I'm not here because I have it all together. I'm here because of how important he is. I try to prove myself to him and him only. But I don't have to prove myself in a way where I'm like trying to earn anything from him because I've already earned it. He sees me as Jesus Christ in the flesh. That's how he views me. What y'all say about me doesn't really matter anymore. 
In fact, it's comical. Some people are like, oh, Jordan, I can't believe you're a Christian. Now, I, I literally talk to people and I'm like, man, all the stuff that we used to do, you were the worst. And now you're a Christian. Isn't that a joke? And I'm like, yeah, it is a joke. I don't even know why I'm in there. I don't know why they let me in. <laughs> this is funny. I don't, look, I don't know why I'm up here. I don't know why I'm here. And I'm actually talking to y'all. I could, you could have person after person come up and say, look, this is all the stuff that Jordan Goody did. And if somebody got up there and it came up here and did that, then y'all probably wouldn't be here anymore. But for some reason, you're here. And for some reason, God has given me some kind of new future where I can actually outgrow my past. I think I have the verse up there. It's 1 Corinthians 5, and this is like the coolest verse. If you don't get anything else from tonight, then get this verse because this verse is everything. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He became so that you could become the new future that you have because of what he's done for you. Yeah, Satan can say all these things about what you are not, but Jesus became everything that I'm not so that I could become everything that Jesus is. Man, I know this. For some of y'all, this means something. And for some of y'all, this means very little. You're like, ah, this sounds like an extra theological sermon about some stuff, Satan and and Jesus, and I'm just kind of got kind of confused in there. One day this will mean everything to you. One day this will be something where you won't be, this will be the reason why you have hope every day. Because you don't have to prove yourself to the people around you. You don't have to go and earn it in this life. You can live from a place of victory. The band can go ahead and get ready to come back up. I'm basically uh, finishing up. But the last thing I wanted to say was I wanted to tell a story about a friend of mine. Um, I say a friend of mine. I, y'all, y'all know how it is. I've never met him. He was alive 300 years ago. Alec, you'd enjoy this because hey, we got any we got any good Methodist in here? Methodist? Methodist background? There's a few of y'all. Okay. Some of y'all kind of. kind of. Okay. There we go. Methodist. It's a man called John Wesley. Yeah, y'all can go ahead and come back up. His name is John Wesley. He founded the Methodist. And he actually considered this like one of his favorite verses, the verses specifically that we read that as God said, you are now a brand plucked from the fire. That's what he told Satan. That's that's literally one of John Wesley's favorite verses. John Wesley, if you don't know anything about him, he was amazing. His life was, oh, man, it was phenomenal. The easiest way I could summarize all that he was was that the secular historian, the non-Christian historian, Lucky, Lucky, who was a very well-known historian for like, maybe there's like two people in here who actually would care about that. But this dude was well-known. And he wrote of John Wesley and the revival that he brought about in creating the Methodists. He said that revival, which coincided with the French Revolution, he said the revolution that destroyed France would have definitely destroyed England had it not been for this one man. This one man saved a nation. God got a hold of his life, and everything was different because of that. Now, why do I bring him up now? Because when he was like, I want to say when he was 10 years old, he was at a fire in Lincolnshire, 
I don't remember the rest of it. Lincolnshire, Exeter. Oh, no. Um, Epworth. Lincolnshire, Epworth in England. And there was a fire, and he was caught in the attic. And when this fire was going on, when, when John Wesley's 10 years old, like eight dudes get on one another's shoulders and then get him out of the window of the attic and save his life. And then he, sa and then he says, you know what? I'm like a brand or a branch that was pulled out of the fire. And he carried that as a mark his whole life in excitement. But the reason I'm talking about him tonight is because he was somebody who really missed this early on in his life. Because early on, he's in, early on, you know, he's like trying to follow God, but he keeps trying to be good enough. So he forms what him and his friends, it's like four other dudes, George Whitfield, some of y'all have heard of George Whitfield. He's in this group. His brother, Charles Wesley, who we read a, a lot of our worship songs, have some of his words, and his brother was a well-known hymn writer. They were in this whole holiness club at Oxford, and they're praying, they're having all-night prayer meetings, and they're preaching to people on campus, but not like, not really preaching. They're like, kind of like, your sin is bad, and, and, and justice will come. They're not really talking about salvation or Jesus. They're really just preaching about how bad everyone is. And they have this holiness club. And you're like, man, why are you telling this story? What does this have to do with anything? Because John Wesley goes on, and he becomes a missionary in Georgia, and it, and he, it goes terribly. He sucks. It, it goes down in flames. And then he literally is like on a boat back after being, they kick him out. That's how bad of a missionary he was. They kicked him out of Georgia. Damani had something to do with that. They kicked him out of Georgia and told him, we don't want you here anymore. Go back to England. Go back to wherever you came from. You're, you're a sorry missionary. We don't want you. So he goes back, and he's sitting in this church, and he's like, what have I missed? And it just becomes so clear to him that he has missed the grace of God. It's always been about do this, do this, do this, Try to live up to these accusations that you hear from the enemy, and then you'll be worthy before God. And then he realizes that it's all about the fact that he couldn't put it together on his own and that he needed someone else to step in his place, to put robes on him that he never deserved, to give him a future that he could have never earned for himself, to give him a position that, could, that he could have never given him before God and when he realized this, he's sitting in this church by himself. There's like no one in the church. It's not even, church isn't even going on. He's just sitting in here trying to make sense of his life. And it said his heart was strangely warmed. And all of a sudden he knew the grace of, that the Lord had had over him. And he knew that he was a sinner saved by grace. And all the accusations of the enemy were true. But that didn't matter anymore because his hope was no longer in himself and how good he could measure up. Lord, help us to see that. We can't earn this. Satan tells me I'm not good enough. But that doesn't really matter if my hope is in you. The Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Not believe on how good you are not believe on how much you have it all together, not believe on any of those things. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. <sighs> Lord God, thank you for everyone here and thank you most of all for your grace. You know, we just bow before you. You say that the enemy is real and you say that he is accusing us day and night 
trying to tell us all the things that we are and that we aren't. Help us, Lord God, to believe not those lies, those bad radio transmissions that come from him. Let us believe most of all in your grace and what you've done for us. You died the death that I should have died, and you've lived the life that I should have lived. Help us all to rest in the reality of the life that you have given us. Thank you, Lord, that you became so that we could become. Thank you, Lord. Pray this all in Jesus' name. As we worship right now, some of you have never really put your hope in Jesus Christ. You've, keep, you've been trying to do this on your own. And you've been trying, you, you all can stand up. And you've been trying to be good enough on your own. And it's tiring. And it's overwhelming. And in the end, it won't do you anything. Except remind you how much you're missing it. This is a great night to put your hope in Jesus Christ. To believe on him. If that is you tonight, I encourage you to go and talk to your small group leader or to the person who brought you here and tell them about this decision that you want to make. And for some of us, we have put our hope in how well we can do things. And that needs to die tonight. Trust what he has done and focus on getting his, his applause only. Don't try to measure up to this world. It's not worth it. His applause is the only applause that matters. And he's the only one who can get you into VIP. You'll never get yourself in there.